1: I'm literally younger at 44 than I was at 25. I believe that I am going to live to at least 180 years old.
0: Welcome back to Material World, where we dig into the stories behind all the things you spend your money on. I'm Lindsay Rupp. I cover all the stores in the mall for
2: Bloomberg News. And I'm Jenny Kaplan. I cover all the things you drink and smoke for Bloomberg. People have always been searching for a way to live longer and more productively than what seems naturally possible. Right, history tells us
0: that we've always sought a magical key to immortality, from the search for the fountain of youth to the search for the philosopher's stone. Not to mention attempts to boost productivity have driven all kinds of improvements to how we live, from better medicines to better foods. And we seem to be gaining some ground. In 1960, the average American could expect to live to 69. In 2012, Americans were living to
2: over 78, according to the World Bank. Today, modern technology has given people new tools to try to reach those goals. If this trend continues, 50 years from now, we would live to be close to 90. But as we started to explore this field, we discovered that some people have aspirations that blow that number out of the water. Take Dave Asprey for example. As you heard at the top of the show, he believes he'll live to be 180 and claims he's figured out how to let other people get there too. As you'll hear in a bit, Dave has gone all out. He's taken pretty extreme measures to
0: transform
2: his life in every way. Others are doing things that are less demanding. There's a movement of people who are taking very small amounts of psychedelic drugs, for example, to improve interpersonal relationships and work performance. And for those who think
0: that's still a little too far out, there are lots of people using apps to track and improve their health, from sleep to mindfulness to brain training. So today we're talking
2: about biohacking.
1: It's the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that your biology and your body will do what you want them to do. It's about having full control of your body.
0: Dave Asprey is the founder and CEO of Bulletproof, a company that makes coffee and other dietary supplements.
1: Bulletproof coffee is a high fat breakfast that has a special kind of coffee bean mixed with a kind of extract of coconut oil called brain octane oil that puts your body in a mild state of ketosis or fat burning mode, and grass-fed butter. So you blend this stuff into your hot coffee, and suddenly you don't care about food. You eat this way, which is generally lots and lots of the right kinds of undamaged fat, tons of vegetables, so it's very plant-based, and a small amount of very high-quality wild-caught or grass-fed protein. And when you do this, you lose your food cravings overnight, your willpower goes up, and then weight falls off, but it's effortless. So there's no trying, there's no willpower, there's no beating yourself up in a gym. It just sort of falls off as a byproduct of having more energy all the time.
0: Dave has also written multiple books, has his own podcast, Bulletproof Executive Radio, and used to run an anti-aging nonprofit.
2: He says he is a professional biohacker. He started down this path when traditional weight loss methods just weren't doing anything.
1: I used to weigh 300 pounds and I've lost 100 pounds of fat and kept it off without lots of exercise and without feeling hungry and using willpower uh, for more than 10 years now. When I was a tech entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, my brain started to go and I couldn't really pay attention in meetings. I couldn't remember things and I got really worried. And when doctors had nothing to offer me, I took my computer hacking skills and turned them around on myself. And I said, if I can take control of a system that I don't really understand, why can't I do the same thing to my body?
2: The Bulletproof diet is more than just coffee. Dave Asprey also emphasizes a lot of fat, grass-fed protein, and tons of vegetables.
1: It's not a super expensive diet. The trick, though, is that I've replaced the carbs, the the bread and stuff like that that most people eat with lots more vegetables. But because there's plenty of butter on the vegetables and because salt is totally okay on the Bulletproof diet, the vegetables actually taste good. It's food that you want to eat. And there's a whole cookbook called Bulletproof, the cookbook that goes through recipes. Every recipe is designed to leave you full for hours and feeling lots of energy without wanting to go to sleep, without wanting to have some kind of sugar two hours after you eat. Most of the time when people eat, they're eating food that gives them cravings later, so they're on this treadmill. You get off the treadmill when you eat this way.
2: Dave's day is carefully scheduled to maximize biohacking. Here's a taste of his routine.
1: After I drop the kids off, I drive straight home, and I start biohacking before I get going. One of the first things I'll do is I'll stand in front of a tanning lamp for about On 20 days. Bulletproof Vibe, which is a plate that vibrates 30 times a second. It's the same frequency and technology used by NASA to help astronauts recover Circulating more Circulating compression ice bands. 21 minutes of VASPR training gives you the same effective changes in the body as two and a half hours of cardio uh, I'm basically training. tricking the body into doing more repair and, and more. I'll take a bunch of supplements. Take nootropics with my Bulletproof coffee. Unfair Advantage, and I take several of the other Bulletproof supplements, uh, some prescription well well. pharmaceutical substances, called the racetam family which are designed for increasing cognitive function. I hook my brain up to electrodes and I'll meditate with a computer telling me how to get into very advanced zen states. I spend time with my family. I have dinner every night, a bulletproof dinner. For a while when I'm reading I use a high current pulsed electromagnetic frequency device that exercises cells in the body. I use various forms of infrared and red lights or I might sit in my infrared sauna. I might as well be getting a signal into my body that says become younger, become stronger, become faster, become smarter since I was 15. 15% of people who are, are late people. There's also 15% of people who are early go people. go to sleep, it takes me three minutes to go to sleep. For the past 1,427 nights, I've had six hours and five minutes of sleep because I monitor my sleep every night. And then I wake up, I rinse, and I repeat.
0: If this sounds like a lot of work, or even too good to be true, you're not alone. For an outside, sobering perspective, we talked to Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, a medical doctor who specializes in patients with obesity.
3: So I think that it's a great marketing vehicle that doesn't have much more than hope and speculation behind it. Uh, The idea that having butter and medium-chain triglycerides as a means to somehow magically do things beyond provide calories and energy to the body is not yet proven Uh, it has served uh, again as a great way to market medium chain triglycerides and uh, butter as well as uh, fancy coffee Uh, but it's certainly not something that i'd be spending uh, much money or attention on uh, personally i wish there were a simple solution to a highly complex multifactorial problem but there is not
2: at the end of the day even if you don't believe in all of the bulletproof principles the diet clearly promotes the kinds of fresh vegetables, proteins, and home cooking that medical professionals often cite as important. Dr. Friedhoff again.
3: Oh, that, that's all fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong with improving the quality of your diet. It's just this notion that there's magic properties to particular foods that will have tremendous uh, benefits to either your quality of life or your quantity of life, beyond what you would get from simply following basic principles like ensuring your meals come from fresh whole ingredients for the vast majority of the time, that you minimize restaurants, and you minimize the consumption of ultra-processed foods, that you cultivate sleep and friendships and relationships, that you don't drink to excess and that you don't smoke. I mean, do those things. and Oh, and, of course, exercise, as often as you can enjoy exercising. Uh, Do those things, and you're good. Uh, The likelihood of, you know, a particular, again, food or product or supplement uh, building on the benefits that those behaviors would provide is very low in my mind. And I think, too, uh, leads people down the road of you know, dietary deification and demonization, where people ascribe incredible values or harms to particular foods, and in so doing, often create lives and lifestyles that lead them to be disappointed in themselves to the point of eventually quitting them. The most important piece, for anybody, whether it's diet or exercise, is whether they like whatever they're doing, whatever they're eating, enough to continue doing or eating uh, that particular thing. And so even if there were, and there is not, but even if there were scientifically provable bests for diets or for exercise, it wouldn't matter if you didn't happen to like living that way. And so the goal that I prescribe in my office um, is the healthiest life that a person can actually enjoy living. That has much more value than trying to merely tolerate a life that you don't enjoy enough that eventually you quit because it's too much of a pain in the ass.
2: What the good doctor said really resonates with me. It makes sense that a diet will only work if it doesn't make you miserable. After reading Dave Asprey's book, I was pretty overwhelmed by the idea of changing my routine as much as he advocates— Grass-fed protein and lots of vegetables also don't come cheap, but Dave says it doesn't need to be overwhelming or expensive to follow his rules.
1: Here's all you have to do. You download for free the Bulletproof Roadmap. It's basically the, the skeleton of the Bulletproof Diet book. It's great if you read the book, but if you don't have time, that's fine. That This is a free resource for everyone that tells you which foods are bulletproof, which foods might cause problems for you, and which foods are guaranteed to cause problems for you. We call this kryptonite foods. So print that out and put it on your fridge and then wake up in the morning and get bulletproof coffee beans, get the Brain Octane, just try real bulletproof coffee for one week and have that for breakfast. It will absolutely change the amount of energy you have. Uh, you're, and and I, I say this having heard this from tens of thousands of people and experienced it myself. At, at that point, your cravings, that the 10, the 10 a.m. Uh, bagel run or croissant or whatever you would have had. You just don't even care about it. You don't even think about it and it loses its, its sirens call for you. And a lot of the practices that are in Headstrong, the biohacking practices, they don't take any special equipment or any money like that. Uh, for instance, when you take a shower in the morning, at the end of the shower, turn the shower to cold. <laughs> and when you do that, just for 30 seconds and let it hit your face and your chest, it does something special to your dive reflex, and it makes you burn a lot more calories all day long, and it improves your sleep quality later in the day. It's cold water. It's 30 seconds. It's mildly uncomfortable, and it's totally free. So That's the type of thing that I write about, and that's also something that I do. Granted, I may do it with liquid nitrogen and stand in a cryotherapy chamber at home.
0: So. After hearing from the professional and the expert, we wanted to get a report from a regular Joe, somebody who's actually tried to go bulletproof.
4: I'm Josh Lachter, and I work in artificial intelligence.
0: Josh discovered the bulletproof lifestyle a few years ago, and he's been following it regularly since then.
4: I think that, that the diet in combination with some of the lifestyle changes that he suggests have generally made me feel better. I think that he believes that the kinds of food you eat affect your hunger and satiation, satiation in a very meaningful way. And because of that, I've sort of changed some of the types of food that I eat right again more fat. And I've found that that has made me feel better. And in addition to just the sort of, right, um, diet alone, I think he's espoused a lot of um, supplement stuff that I think is... Made me feel better in certain respects too. He's a big proponent of activated charcoal, um, which has a lot of sort of um, detoxification properties. He's sort of a huge fan of steam rooms and saunas and things like that, which also have detoxification properties. So I think the diet in conjunction with some of the kind of lifestyle choices that he espouses around exercise and supplements and um, wellness in general is made me feel better, uh, generally.
2: Dave's biohacking touches on every part of his life. It's definitely an extreme way to try and perfect your body. But others are looking to alternative methods to cultivate and improve the mind and human perception. Believe it or
0: not, a growing number of people are taking tiny amounts of psychedelic drugs like mushrooms and LSD in order to clear their minds and stay focused. This is known as microdosing.
5: Microdosing is taking a tiny dose of a psychedelic, a tenth or a twentieth of a a regular dose, and it has no psychedelic effects and seems to have a lot of healing effects.
2: Jim Fadiman, a professor and researcher at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto, has been studying psychedelics since before they were illegal. He agreed to walk us through the controversial practice. He says between fifty and 100,000 people are currently trying microdosing.
5: There are two groups. One is people who have uh, both physical and mental illness, predominantly depression and anxiety. They seem to be helped. And also people who are basically functioning fine but wish to be healthier and more creative um, have better relationships, etc. It seems to basically improve people's overall functioning, not any particular bit of it. For instance, a number of journalists have said that they were much more able to do first drafts of, of pieces when they were microdosing. Athletes have said they do a little better physically. Students have indicated they're better able to. Uh, focus in on classes, even ones they don't like. And on the other side, people who have had serious depression and anxiety uh, and some other ailments have said they're feeling better. So that's a wide range of of uses. Uh, These are safer than psychedelics in general because you're taking one-tenth to one-twentieth of the dose, and it doesn't interfere with normal functioning. People basically uh, microdose and go about their day so it it is a very small effect but one that matters to the people who do it.
2: Jim Fadiman clearly sees real benefits from microdosing. But beyond the fact that it's using illegal drugs, what are the risks?
5: Because of the low dose, the dangers are far less than higher doses, and for a few people they've had what they felt were uncomfortable or anxiety producing days basically said I felt really anxious. And we just say to those people, we'll stop, and they do. So we've had no real problems so far, but this is not for everyone, and certainly not for all conditions.
2: Dave Asprey also has thoughts on microdosing.
1: I can tell you authoritatively that microdosing LSD is a very different experience than what most people are uh, are believe about lsd but they believe that lsd is this this incredible you know rips your head open kind of drug experience uh, which it is when you microdose lsd what you experience is uh, more intuition more creativity uh, surprisingly more focus and it's easier to synthesize new ideas it's very powerful for writing it's powerful for writing code it's powerful for music and it's very subtle it's I I believe at these very, very low doses, they're a different pharmaceutical and they operate via different pathways. And I know lots of people who do it. I'm not going to confirm or deny whether I've done it, but I can certainly tell you that it works.
2: Unsurprisingly, Dr. Friedhoff had a different recommendation for people wanting to boost creativity and job performance.
3: So I can't say that I'm particularly well-versed in the medical literature around the use of LSD for attention. Uh, What I will say, though, is that there's fairly good evidence to suggest that exercise does a good job at improving productivity and attention. Um, It's certainly safe. It improves uh, so many other medical conditions. Uh, I would likely be encouraging people to do that um, before they dropped LSD.
2: So far, this may be a little extreme for the average risk-averse consumer. It's daunting to imagine completely changing the way you eat and work out, and it's obviously risky to obtain illegal psychedelics. But without even realizing it, a lot of you listeners might yourselves be biohackers of a sort. Think of all the different apps people are using to track fitness, food, sleep, and more. In
0: case you missed our previous Material World episode on the business of fitness... Bloomberg's New York bureau chief and executive editor of TV, Jason Kelly, is our resident expert in the growing fitness and wellness app industry. He wrote a book called Sweat Equity, Inside the New Economy of Mind and Body. We asked his opinion on this iteration of biohacking.
6: Well, I think technology plays a fascinating role in the entire sphere of fitness and wellness. And, and I say that because I think part of the whole movement toward fitness and wellness is trying to get away from technology in a lot of ways, and yet we've become so reliant on it in our everyday lives that it's natural that we would turn to it to feel better about the things that it's making us feel in the first place, if that makes any sense. And I think people have been quite clever in coming up with ways to measure uh, different parts of your life and also to give you these, to use your term in a slightly different way, these little micro doses, whether it is activity from a fitness perspective, whether it's meditation, whether it is just sort of a release from other things that are going on in your life. And and I think we've moved from playing video games on our phones to looking to have an even more, uh, dare I say, meaningful relationship. And so I think that's partially why we've seen this proliferation of apps related to this. There are a number of, of folks who are going after the the meditation piece. You know, there's one called Calm, there's Will. And I mean, the promise there is this will make you a better person, right? Like, the, you know, we have found, you know, we, the creators, have found a way to bring something that seems sort of difficult and big, in this case, meditation, and bring it into a very approachable bite-sized package. I mean, I've used Headspace on and off for the past year or so, and it is fascinating how you do create this kind of relationship of sorts, and all of it really is about kind of self-improvement, and I think that that's very appealing to people. I think we're always looking for ways to improve ourselves. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. I think it is a it's an evolution, you know, one would argue on a on a positive standpoint of using technology for the for the good. But, you know, I know as a as a writer and an author that some of the best selling books of all time are self help books. I mean, we're always looking for some sort of solution. That's why Oprah exists in a, in a, in a lot of ways um, as a phenomenon. You know, that, and, and it's interesting, you know, to think about the evolution of people like Oprah who, you know, over the time that she had her show, you know, she went from being kind of a tabloidy type of show to, you know, imagine your best self, be your best self. And I think that that's something that's very much baked into the sort of societal ethos right now. And technology is right, you know, literally at our fingertips. And so it's a natural place that we would turn. And I think that that's a a big reason why we're seeing such a proliferation of these types of apps.
0: Dr. Friedhoff has been our resident skeptic this episode, but even he sees some usefulness in apps.
3: There is data currently being collected on all those sorts of things and whether or not apps have benefit. Uh, I would expect, actually, that many of them will, because many of those apps focus people on those big-ticket behaviors, whether they're food diaries, uh, whether they're working on relaxation or sleep. I mean, those are the big-ticket items. And so uh, if any of those apps can inspire a person to improve upon those big-ticket items, uh, I do think that there's likelihood we will be able to prove there's some benefit to them.
2: So after microdosing high-fat coffee and cryogenic showers, what are these movements going to look like in the future? What's next for biohacking?
1: By getting enough data from enough biohackers like me, we will soon be to the point where we recognize we have to build technology that supports our biology instead of technology that slowly makes our brains weak, uh, which is what's happening even with the illumination in your cell phone and and probably the reading light in your bedroom today are taking away your sleep quality without you knowing it. So what's going to happen is we'll we'll grow awareness of how our environment makes us old and how our environment makes us strong and we will change the environment that we have built to make ourselves stronger without requiring ourselves to become cyborgs. And some of us will become cyborgs because we want to. Uh, I have, as we're talking right now, uh, an implantable blood sugar monitor in the back of my left arm. It's about the size of a quarter and it's glued to my skin. It'll stay there for 14 days. It has a small needle I can't feel that goes in, so I can wave a device over my arm. It'll tell me my blood glucose levels 24 hours a day. I do that because I wanted to see what different meals did to my blood glucose. Does that make me a cyborg? Probably.
5: The fact is, it is becoming more widespread. Uh, Microdosing, the fact that it's kind of a worldwide phenomenon certainly surprised me. And What people forget is while psychedelics are illegal, at least in the United States, since they became illegal 40 years ago, 26 million Americans have used LSD, and that's just one psychedelic. So they're not unknown. They seem to be remarkably easy to obtain in all parts of the world. Um, And since this is safer and healthier than higher doses, um, it will probably become more widespread.
6: I think what we have tended to see as the fitness business has evolved is that you see things happen on the extreme, and then as it mainstreams, it becomes a little less radical. And so I think about the growth of Iron Man. There are not that many people who really have the time, the resources, or candidly the physical ability. I certainly don't have it to do an Iron Man, you know, and yet it's very aspirational and also what you have seen is it pushes through the broader society uh, an interest in triathlons or an interest in exercise so the extreme tends to sort of be the leading edge and then as it normalizes you you have people you know come in more and more and so you think about from a technology perspective you know not everybody's going to have a $400 or $500 watch that tracks everything that they do but we have seen a lot of success, at least so far, with you know, something like Fitbit, which just counts your steps. So it, it, as it normalizes, I think it will mainstream a little bit.
3: You know, We all want to improve our qualities of life. We all want to improve our quantities of life. I mean, we're here for such a short time. Uh, but it, it really is amazing the effort and time and money and mental energy that is wasted on what I would describe as minutia rather than those big-ticket, big-picture items like regular exercise and cooking from fresh whole ingredients and so on and so forth. I mean, that's where the value is, and yet we'll spend our time and energy and attention chasing after you know little nonsense with, at best, a theory backing them up. That seems backwards to me if you really, truly want to improve the quality of your life. The inconvenient truth of healthy living is that it will always require effort. Healthiest life a person can enjoy is very different than the healthiest life a person can tolerate. And if you want benefits from the way you're living to last, you need to keep living that way, which means enjoying life is important.
2: Personally, I'm excited to see how hardcore biohacking trickles down and becomes mainstream. Maybe in 20 years, we'll all start our days standing in front of a heat lamp or taking some sort of super drug that will make us excel beyond our natural capabilities. Like Jason said,
0: humans have always had the drive to do this, to become better or fitter than we already are. So the drive for these kind of technologies is there. Fitness is already
2: becoming a bigger part of our lives, and I guess this could be the next step. But the cost and effort involved will have to come way down. People are not going to stick to any new technology or diet if it's too miserable, inconvenient, or pricey. Living forever doesn't sound great if I'm unhappy and broke. So for now, I'll stick to
0: exercise and a balanced diet and moderation with lots of chocolate.
2: That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. If you're hungry for more, check out iTunes, Pocket Cast, the Bloomberg Terminal, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps other people
2: find us. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan and Lindsay's at LC
0: For more on Becoming Bulletproof, check out Dave Asprey's blog and podcast at blog.bulletproof.com. You can follow Yoni Friedhoff at Yoni Friedhoff. And Jason Kelly at Jason
2: Kelly News. This episode was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Hendrickson. Alec McCabe is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks.
1: I'm not planning to freeze my body or cut off my head and cryogenically preserve myself or anything like that. I'm not going to upload myself to the Internet.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state